0: Welcome to the Shrink Think Podcast. I'm Erin.
1: And I'm Nathan, and we're both licensed professional counselors in Oregon here to open up our lives and minds with you.
0: We'll share some of our experience as counselors, business
1: owners, and most important of all, as everyday people.
0: Hi, and welcome to Think. This is our podcast that explores the human experience from two therapists' perspective. We use a little humor and a lot of compassion to help you understand yourself and learn new ways of being. We hope you enjoy the show.
1: Hey, well, welcome to our show. Today we have Amanda. It's going to be great getting to know her. I had first met her, well, only really once met her, really. At Killing It Camp last year, I just met her going to a class on social media, Instagram, that kind of thing. And that basically blew my mind because I realized, oh, Instagram's actually a thing. At any rate, yeah, today we have Amanda Patterson. Uh, She's a private practice consultant who helps therapists create business and marketing plans. She's the owner of a group practice, Caring Therapist of Broward and Palm Beach, with two locations in South Florida. She's also the founder of My Private Practice Collective, an online community for therapists in private practice with over 15,000 members. Amanda is a licensed mental health counselor, certified addictions professional, and national certified counselor, primarily working with children, teenagers, and young adults. In fact, in 2017, she was awarded the Mental Health Counselor of the Year by the Florida Mental Health Counseling Association. Holy mackerel, Amanda. Welcome to our show.
2: Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: Those are some pretty
0: awesome credentials. So thanks for taking the time to be on our show. If you could just introduce yourself to our audience, you know, who are you? And, you know, that's kind of the on paper about who you are, but tell us your story, how you got here.
2: So I always tell people that I wanted to be a lawyer. And so I decided to major in psychology in an effort to go to law school. And that quickly did not pan out for me. I decided very quickly I was not the lawyer type. And I fell in love with psychology. I really, really enjoyed it. I still have. We need to, in our house, go through some boxes we're going to organize. I think during this quarantine a lot of people have been organizing their houses. We've been organizing and doing things, and the next layer is to take all of our boxes and put them in nice boxes instead of the ones that are falling apart. I'm eager to find my Psychology 101 journal, right? Or like where I took all my notes and did everything because that was really the inspiration for me. I remember the outside cover of the notebook is purple, which is my favorite color. And (laughs) that class just so inspired me. I'll always remember that class as really part of the reason why I'm here today.
1: Oh, wow. So you go in thinking you're starting school, you're going to be a lawyer. I imagine knowing you, you're pretty excited about it. And then you sit down in the psych class When you were in there, do you kind of remember any pivotal moment that you went, well, I don't think the lawyer thing is going to be a thing?
2: You know what I remember, and it's so funny because I actually didn't even end up really doing any of this, but I remember being really fascinated with experimental psychology. I thought it was really cool. So my first year of college, I went to Florida State University, which I think most people you know, across the country uh, know Florida State FSU, the Seminoles big football school. And so I went there my first year and I ended up transferring to, which most people don't know is Nova Southeastern University, which is a private school in Broward County. And at FSU, they have a massive psychology program and they had an experimental psychology building, right? It wasn't just like this, like one little area. It's like they had this massive program and I just was really impressed. I remember being a freshman like, wow, I can do, you know, psychological experiments on people. I didn't really know what that meant, but I was really intrigued by all of that. And the psychology building was its own building, right? It was really like elevated. I don't know if the the right word is cool, but it felt cool to be a psychology major. Right. And I just remember thinking, nope, this is what I'm going to do. And I didn't know what that meant because I had never really looked into it. And, Back in my day, 20 years ago, when I started college, they didn't talk to you about like what you would do with your major. It wasn't the career track. The question was always like, what was going to be your major? Not like, what were you going to do with your major? So I never thought about what it would actually look like to be a psychology major in the long run, but I knew I was really fascinated with the field. And I guess I like the building. <laughs> it sounds funny, but it's, it's true.
0: If I'm going to have to go to work every day, I like to go to a great building. <laughs> That's definitely a key factor uh, to think about. No, it's interesting. I had a similar experience in my undergrad. I majored in psychology, actually went in thinking I was going to be an art major, took one art class and really hated it. I'm kind of a little bit artistic, but more creative in a different way now as a therapist, but I took a psych 101 one class with a friend and yeah, kind of loved it from that direction. But then just the whole journey of deciding how to be, or that I wanted to be a therapist was really interesting, kind of as a self-awareness and self-development process for me. How did you finally decide that you wanted to go to grad school and be a therapist yourself?
2: So I loved college. I loved school. I loved high school. I was ready to leave high school because I was ready to move out of my parents' house. But I really loved high school. I loved the experience and I really loved college. I had a really great time. It was really a smart decision for me to transfer schools. And when I was a senior, I was sort of lightly preparing to go into a side program. I had done some research projects and... Though the experimental psychology part at NOVA looked very different than FSU, but did some, you know, research and learned some things. And I was studying for my GREs, but I never really, I never took my GREs. I never got my letters of rec, right? I never really did the things that were necessary to go into a PsyD program. And so I took a gap year. In that gap year, a friend of mine was in the Masters of Mental Health Counseling at Nova, and she loved it. She talked so highly of it and, you know, myself and and her sister who I'm friends with as well and who actually is at my group practice now, so it's just kind of serendipity. Wow. We both started the program together. A couple other people that I knew started it as well. Kind of a fun fact, my husband Started the program as well. We went to undergrad together and then we started our master's program together and we never dated then or anything like that, but now you know, 15 years later, here we are married. It's kind of funny and yeah. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that master's program. What was kind of unique about my master's program was that the way Nova Southeastern university works, this might not be the best advertisement for them. They might not be happy that I'm saying this is that they don't really employ professors for the mental health counseling program. They pull all the side professors and have them teach the classes Which is kind of interesting because I felt like I really got a Psy-D education, at least at some level, you know, like a two-year Psy-D education for the price of a master's. And so I felt really prepared leaving my master's program to be a therapist. Though I'm not psychodynamically trained, you know, I haven't taken any psychodynamic trainings post-graduation. A lot of them are psychodynamically trained, so they really taught us how to go deep with our clients. They really taught us about boundaries and ethics. I really enjoyed that part of my master's program, um, but it's kind of funny because I never thought I would go into private practice leaving grad school. I thought I would work for an agency and maybe be some kind of, you know, director or something like that. Eventually, I, I never really thought about private practice.
1: That's interesting. You know, knowing you a little bit you're so driven. It's like you have this kind of just internal confidence of you, like you, that I don't even know if how aware of it that maybe you are in the sense that it just comes off like, Oh, I'm going to do that. And even when you're thinking about like the direction of maybe you're not sure where you're going to go, but you're maybe going to work inside of a clinic or something. And then the idea that you have is I'll be a director, you know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. um, how did you move into the idea of private practice in the first place.
2: So misery and unhappiness <laughs> and being you dis- can
1: laugh about
0: it now. Yeah,
2: Yeah, I laugh about it now, but there were many tears. You know, I worked at an agency and as most people know, with agencies, it's just it's hard work. It was a lot of hard work. It was a lot of, you know, blood, sweat and tears. There's a lot of limitations. There's a lot of budgetary limitations. There's a lot of limitations with training. I feel like in my life, kind of as a reflect, I have always been sort of caught at the beginning of things. Like, I was caught at the beginning of social media, right? So when I talk about not really wanting to go into private practice, it's because nobody really talked about private practice that much when I was in grad school because there was no social media. Like, we would have never connected you know, 15 years ago, because we wouldn't have been going to the same conferences unless I happened to fly out to like the American Counseling Association conference or something like that. Right. Right. And it's kind of the same thing with all of the different things that have happened in my life, kind of at the beginning of these like Renaissance that have occurred. And Now people are much more aware of private practice. They're much more aware of agencies. I know people that go straight from grad school into private practices, which was really unheard of, I would say, in my time.
0: Right. Yeah, same
1: here. That was actually me.
2: Oh, it was you.
0: Yeah. And he was like you, probably one of the only people, like that was just not a thing that people did. It's like you had to put in your time in order to earn your stripes and earn your credibility as a therapist in the field.
1: Yeah. And actually I was told flat out by several other folks that they looked at me like I was a space alien and not just like that, but there was kind of this condescension of you can't do that. Like you you have to be licensed, you have to do X, Y, Z, then you have to be post licensed for probably two years. And I just would listen, I would just sit there and not say anything and then just started it anyway.
2: That's awesome. Yeah, I love that story because I feel like so many more people, especially with the internet, have learned that they can do this and that so many more opportunities have opened up. It's not this like archaic system anymore with private practices. They've really, you know, been very forward thinking. And so- You know, I was really unhappy at my agency and I actually really enjoyed the people I worked with. I enjoyed the clientele that I worked with. It's just, it's hard work. It's just hard work. And I was very unhappy and it was kind of, again, like one of those things that just happened where I was looking for a job. I think I was on Craigslist and there was an ad for office space. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. I've never you know, really thought about doing this. Again, this was before I think any of like the private practice coaches that we follow were really even doing anything. I mean, I think like Casey Truffaut was out there, but unless again, you knew her some specific kind of way, or you had read her book, it wasn't like you had access, you know, as easily to people. And so I went and did the interview for the office space. And I was like, yes, I love this. This is what I want to do. It's kind of like you said, like, I just have this force. I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And I, you know, started an LLC and I rented the office space and I got on some insurance panels and I got a website and you know, as they say, the rest is history. That was in 2013. So it's been seven years.
0: Wow. You know, the thing that strikes me with that is there's this fearlessness, at least that it looks like on the outside, hearing the story that you have this opportunity to go in a direction that you had never thought of before. And yet you just walked right into it. Or maybe you could say you just traipsed right into it. You danced right into it. (laughs) It seems like your style kind of behind the scenes. Like, How did you do that? Did you have a bunch of fear inside or like, okay, I don't have any clients, but somehow it'll just work out or any doubt along the way? Like, should I be doing this? This is never what I had ever imagined. Like, What was your process?
2: So I'm a catastrophizer. That is my process. Um, (laughs) And so in order to combat the catastrophizing, I'm, I'm also a planner. And so those two things will balance themselves out where internally I'm like, I'm not going to make any money, right? Like some kind of narrative like that, some kind of belief system, like this isn't going to work out at all because X, Y, and Z. So in order to manage that level of anxiety, then I'll usually create a pretty good plan and use my resources in, in order to manage that anxiety. But I think anytime you're in private practice or business and you're making a change It can be anxiety producing. Even today, we need to hire more people in one of my offices. We just hired more people in my north office. We need to hire more people in my south office. It's kind of like that same anxiety comes up. Like, what if all of a sudden people stop calling? What if all of a sudden this thing happens, right? Like, what if, what if, what if? And I have found like the adage, like, feel the fear and do it anyways. Okay, what if all the calls stop? Then what happens? Okay you know, I'll buy more AdWords or I'll, I'll put, put some Facebook posts up or what, you know, like we'll just solve those problems. And so the problem I have right now is that we actually have too many referrals and not enough clinicians. So let me solve that issue. So yeah, I think of course, there's always like those feelings for me of, of anxiety and something bad can happen because that's just a part of my process. But I think how I've learned to combat that is to put plans in place. So then that way I'm confident in the direction that I'm going.
0: That's really fascinating because it sounds like over the seven years of being in practice, you had this fear and anxiety, this catastrophizing going into this one little office space. And seven years later, you've got two locations, numerous employees, you got to hire some more and it's the same anxiety. So in some ways you haven't changed, like you still feel that fear, but the thing that's changed is how you experience it and what you do with it. Is that right?
2: Yes. And it's, it's so interesting that you say it like that, because that's a lot of my work as a therapist is really getting my clients to maybe accept some of these parts of themselves, because ultimately like that part is just, it's in me, right? Like I've listened, I've done my fair share of therapy. I'm in therapy right now. Right. And I enjoy that process, but therapy doesn't take that part of me away, right? Like it just gives me tools to manage that. So I think both in myself and my clients, it's really working on acceptance of some of the things that maybe are maladaptive for us, but learning adaptive ways to manage them.
1: Maybe this is too specific, but what have you learned in with your parts and accepting kind of just accepting the fear
2: you know, I, <laughs> one thing I'm scared of, I think I've mentioned this on a podcast before. I'm scared of the dark. I don't like the dark at all. Um, I've always been scared of the dark. I think I was scared of the dark as a child and I even as an adult. It's like one of those like fears, like I'm not really willing to work on. I'm not going to do any kind of exposure training. Even the thought of doing exposure training increases my anxiety. So again, it's like accepting that and just modifying my behavior. Listen, if I was scared of trying to think of something, like if I was scared of driving, right, or something that really impeded on my life, I think it would look different. The fear of darkness doesn't really impede on my life, nor does it impede on anybody else's life, right? And so I've kind of learned to compartmentalize maybe some of the fears that I have and manage them, again, either through behavioral changes in me or just say, okay, these are fears that I have, and I'm okay, and it's okay.
0: Yeah. As long as you've got your cell phone with you and it's charged, that's got a flashlight on it. Like you're, you're fine. You're good. It's, you completely wherever fine. You go.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's completely fine. I guess like if my I don't know, my captures are listening to this they're like, let's just like put her in like a, in a box and keep her and keep her there. Probably, like, lose my <laughs> oh, yeah. mind or, or my torturers. if anybody wants to torture me, like, just put me in a box in, in the dark and that's not going to work well for me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is maybe something I shouldn't share, but this is part of our podcast is trying to be vulnerable. So I have, a, I have two daughters. Uh, one of them right now, my youngest is 10 and my oldest is nearly 16. When my oldest was four, she calls me in her room. She's like, dad, I'm scared of the dark. And I said, honey you're not scared of the dark. You're scared of what's in the dark. <laughs> and, she, and then I turned the lights on and she go, and I said, see, it's the same stuff. And then I turned them off and then she's like, okay, <laughs> that was it. I got lucky on that. I think you, know? you
2: got lucky. Yeah. You definitely got lucky on that.
1: It was really scary.
0: For a moment. <laughs> I know. So you've got this group practice now, you know, fast forwarding seven years. What I have seen since I've known you about a year here is that as I mentioned earlier, it seems like you've um, you know, been running harder or faster or just more confidently toward the things that you're doing, like this whole director thing. Like, okay, I'm, that's just something I'm going to do. Where are you at now? What are your goals that you're reaching toward and like, what projects are you working on now that are exciting to you?
2: So, really, my goal has been to stabilize the group practice because when, what I learned actually two years ago when I went to slow down school with Joe was that in order to do any kind of other projects, right, you, you really want to make sure that your group practice was solid. And that it was generating income and then it was running, you know, with me, but without me, if that makes sense. Like that I could go away for a week or two weeks or whatever amount of time. I know some people say, if you really want to see if your business works, go away for a month. I haven't quite done that yet, but I'm confident it could go away for two weeks and it would run. And that had really been my goal for a while kind of like the reason we opened up a second office is because we moved about an hour away from my first office. So it was kind of, again, one of those things like I stumbled upon, but you're right. I was confident. I was like, Hey, okay, we're going to open up a second office and that's that. And so we opened up the second office. Hasn't even been a year yet. We opened up the second office right about the time when I saw the both of you last year. So getting that stable, getting everybody kind of like where they needed to be and stabilizing out the amount of clinicians and help. I just promoted people. I promoted clinical director, promoted director of operations and hired a new admin person. And so having the support has been really, really, really helpful. I think that anytime you're doing big picture kind of things, you have to have your systems in place and you have to have your support systems in place. So both your you know, the logistics and your support. And so as my group practice has stabilized out, then it has given me more time to do things like build up my private practice collective, do coaching with people who are interested. I really work well with people who maybe are full in their individual practices and want to know where to go with, you know, maybe with a group practice or really how to shine in a solo practice and, I really enjoy the coaching piece because it's so different than therapy in the sense that it's really actionable. And that piece I really like.
1: You know, as you are talking about stability, I started thinking, uh, man, what would that even look like? Because it seems like there's just a constant change process with growth. Are you looking at stability in the sense that you just really wouldn't have to be there at all? And then the two different locations would essentially manage themselves? I mean, do you see yourself long-term as a therapist in one of those practices kind of till you retire or what are you thinking?
2: So, you know, it's so hard because there's this emotional attachment that I have to being a therapist and to my clients and to that process. And so there's like that one part of me that's like, no, I will always be a therapist. And then there's this other part of me that's like, I could do these other things and really reach more people and really, you know, have a different impact. So as of now, I'm not planning on fully going outside of therapy and just doing coaching. I'm probably looking at, you know, a split, but what I've also seen from a lot of people that becomes hard to manage. I think putting on those two hats, because the way that you run a coaching or a consulting practice looks so different than how you run a therapy practice. When you run a therapy practice. It's kind of like clockwork, like your clients call, they get on your schedule, you see them every week, then you move them to every two weeks and then you just charge them or some process like that, right? And most of the time they come every week and they like to have the same time and it just looks different when you're doing consulting and coaching. The, it does just doesn't. It's not like okay. I have these, you know, ten people I see every single week at these times. Like a lot of people have different packages, and you do different programs, and you do masterminds, and you do individual coaching, and you do courses, right? Like there's much more that goes into it. So it's interesting sometimes to switch in and out of that hat, right? Like okay, I'm going to be consultant and a coach and I'm going to be rah rah and excited. And (laughs) we're going to be setting goals and talking big picture. And then like an hour later, I'm like knee deep in somebody's trauma or pain. I could see sort of like the more coaching and consulting that I'm doing, how I would probably want to set up days. Like this is my coaching day and this is my therapy day.
0: Right. Right. (laughs) It sounds like you kind of are maybe in the beginning stages or somewhere like in this process of evolving as a person, you know, when you were talking about feeling the fear, you were learning that from clients and with clients. That sounds like that's like an emotional part of why you love doing your job because as therapists, we are learning stuff with people and we're applying things that we've learned and sharing that with them. In a lot of ways we're growing with them and, you know, doing this together. And as you do this consulting and coaching, it's a different side of you, which is fun and exciting. You know, Nathan and I are doing this podcast partly for that reason, because it's a way to reach more people and just to exercise some different creativity that we have. But it definitely requires like this evolution of you as a person. What's that process been like for you? And what are you learning? Maybe that you're not even done with that yet, but what are you learning about yourself in that evolution process?
2: Yeah, I think a couple of things kind of happened over the past, you know, several years that have pushed that. My husband and I, he's a late bloomer. I'm um, along for the ride on his late blooming. I'm not a late bloomer, but we just happened to find each other and, and get married. And so he, you know, is a psychologist and finished school a little bit later in life. And so what that has created is that we're starting our life later, right? So we got married last year. I'm in my, I'm just turned 30 and he just turned 40. So we literally bought our first home a year ago. We're, you know, planning on starting a family now. So we're in a different like phase of life, like where we're really planting roots and really settling down where a lot of people I know had children earlier, had bought homes or like some people I know are on their second home. I'm like, wow. And so I think that has been the change and the shift for me is where I used to work, Monday through Thursday until 9pm every night. And I actually, I really didn't mind that schedule. We both basically worked that same schedule. And now the thought of working until 9pm, I'm like asleep some nights by 9pm. And so I think because of my life really settled down a lot. And I shifted sort of from when I first started my practice, I was like, I was a single woman, like I had a dog and I could work until 9 PM and it was no big deal. Now I'm shifting into like this, even though we don't have children yet, but like preparing for children and you know, that suburban life (laughs) is like the best way I can describe it. I think my goals and my practice have shifted as well. Where before I was like wanting to, you know, see the most amount of clients I could see or, you know, build up something. Now it's like I'm building out instead of just building up.
1: Wow, yeah, I can understand. At first when you said late bloomer, I was like, what is she talking about? And then as you explained, mm-hmm, I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I, I can understand what you're saying. As we close up here, um, I'm wondering if you could share with folks, you know, could be anybody listening, right? Maybe a takeaway that they could take from you about facing fear and uh, growing, maybe growing their business or just being inside their own life.
2: I think it goes back to accepting those fears and not always trying to get rid of them. I think a lot of the times our anxiety gets worse when we try to push them down or push them away or, you know, just get rid of them in whatever kind of ways that we do. We all have our ways that we do that. Instead, embrace them and sit with them and be okay with them and not allow them to control our lives either, right? Not allow them to you know, invade every space to where we are not in action. So I think that the adage feel the fear and do it anyways is my motto. And I think it's a good motto for other people to live by.
0: That's awesome. And you are living proof of that, you know, especially as you said earlier that the fear doesn't necessarily go away and the anxiety doesn't go away. It just becomes smaller and has less power over you. And it's cool to see that even though you've had that, you've been able to accomplish so much. And that's, that's really inspiring because it seems really achievable, I think for a lot of people that they don't have to somehow, you know, be so courageous that they're just absolutely fearless. So, thanks for sharing that and for sharing your story with us on our show. Amanda, are you on social media, and how can people get a hold of you?
2: Sure, I'm on social media. It's Amanda Patterson LMHC, or on Instagram, it's Amanda P LMHC. That's probably the easiest way to get in touch with me because you can get all my contact information from there.
1: All right. Well, thank you very much. I was just realizing the less fear that Amanda has, the more world that she's going to take up. So so watch out, you guys, over the course of time. But thanks for spending your time with us today, Amanda.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to our show. Don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course and sign up for our free email course.